Research is a podcast that explores current nutritional research and health studies. Our lawyer says we have to let you know that this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informative purposes only. If you have any health questions, see your doctor or licensed health professional. Just by plane. Hashtag just by plane. (laughs) Just by plane. That's a really good hashtag, just by plane. There we go. There's that should be the name of this podcast, this episode. Just by plane. Hashtag just by plane. Hey Lindsay. Hi, Lisa. I can't believe we're already recording episode five. I know. Oh my god. Yeah, this is super cool. I am having so much fun talking about science articles. Uh, I didn't think I could have this much fun, but I am. (laughs) Yay, every time I find new ones and I'm like, oh my God, this is so exciting. And I think I have to share and and realize how much of a nerd I am, but I love it. This is awesome. Yeah, so let's start talking about this week. Yes. We'll just read in. Uh, The title of this article is Effects of Products Designed to Modulate the Gut Microbiota on Hyperlipidemia. So it's, you know, for science papers, it's not too much of a mouthful for a title, but really what it is, is we're looking at the gut microbiome and how it's affecting blood lipid levels. So uh, this article isn't too old. It was September last year, so it's not even quite a year old um, in the European Journal of Nutrition, but here's the kicker. This is what I love about this. This is a meta-analysis. Yay for meta-analyses. I know. So this is like the best of the best. This is uh, the highest in the pyramid in terms of quality of articles. Uh, So when I saw this, I thought, okay, this is a keeper. (laughs) Um, And it talks about the microbiome, which I think is just such a cool topic. So yeah, so we're going to talk about this today. Yeah, so let's, I don't know, shall we just start talking about the background? Yes, teach me everything I need to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of information out there about the microbiome. If you have anything to add, let me know. In terms of sciences or biologies, it's a fairly new area of research. Um, it's really only been around for a few decades. I mean, we've known about microorganisms for centuries now, but I think the whole area of the microbiome in terms of how it relates to our bodies and our physical health, that's the new perspective. Yes. So, yeah. So that's, you know, when people in the research field started realizing, hey, maybe we kind of need these guys. (laughs) That was a bit of a breakthrough. And uh, I mean, it was definitely a pivot in uh, research. So what we know now is that, of course, the microbiome plays a huge role in our health. There is some rumblings, although it's not really supported, that, you know, we live in such a sterile environment, and that might be playing a role in some of the health issues that people are having nowadays. I don't know. That's a hygiene hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, it's definitely interesting, and we'll definitely have to talk about that a little bit more. But we do know the microbiome, you know, it's a huge factor in how we feel, how we function. There's still some debate on how many single-celled organisms live with us. I mean, we were just talking about this before, off camera, um, just about like what that number actually is. For the longest time, people thought it was 10 to one. So 10 of them, one of us, in terms of ratios of cells. There's new information coming out that maybe that's a bit over-exaggerated, but it's interesting. There's definitely more of them than there are of us, but in terms of the exact ratio, I think it, it, uh, 
we'll see. Uh, there's some debate about how many species right. uh, live, and it, I think it really varies from person to person, culture to culture. You know, if you're an outdoorsy person, if you're an indoor person, like there's so many factors. What you eat, you know, like lifestyle habits, like if you garden, I would imagine you have a much broader spectrum, you know, because your hands are in the dirt and a lot of our culture comes from the dirt, which we get when we eat, right? So, you know, if you're going you to don't the advocate market, the dirt straight up though. No, no, no. <laughs> However, I mean, going by that argument, like if you're going to the farmer's market and you're buying food with a bit of dirt on it, like... Right. You don't have to like scrub, scrub, scrub till it's sterile. We, you know, part of that is, you know, I had one uh, at a talk I was doing, I had one woman pipe up at the end and she's like, my grandmother always said to eat a pound of dirt before you die. And I thought, <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, it's an old saying for sure. So, you know, anyways, that's good. Let's get back on topic here. We could, <laughs> we could go on so many different tangents. The microbiome in us is mostly made up of bacteria but this is not exclusive. It does include yeasts, parasites even. There is a lot of new research coming out about how parasites affect our health in a good way. In a good way, yes. Yeah, I think that, that's definitely a future topic right there. Um, and viruses. Uh, it's found all over our body. When we think of the microbiome, I think a lot of people really just think of our gut. That's the first thing that comes to my mind, but you're right. That's not the only place. Like it's we're not sterile. Exactly. Not at all. So it's on uh, our skin. It's in our lungs. It's in our mouth, uh, in our nose. And there's a lot, uh, well, not a lot, sorry, that's the wrong word. Um, there is new research discussing how the microbiome might also be in areas like our brain. Um, and so sealed up areas that we always thought were sterile. Right. Maybe not. And so that is definitely something we should be kind of watching for as we learn more about the microbiome. Where is it limited to? Or is it even limited to any area? So what else do we have here? Microbiome has a huge positive effect on immunity. And so typically when we have a nice strong microbiome, that means a lot of variety, high numbers. We have a stronger immune system there's a huge link to the nervous system and mental health because of the gut brain axis. And so the microbiome directly affects how our brain works, which is really cool. And this is the uh, microbiome in our gut, our gut microbiome in our, yeah. in our yeah. brains, right? Well, that we know about right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this Breaking might change. research coming out all the time. I know. Isn't it so cool? Uh, and then digestion, of course. I mean, this one has been known for a really long time. But we know the microbiome has a huge role in digestion for so many different reasons. And I, I really think there are many, many other ways it influences our health and how our body functions. But that's really the main areas that we're really familiar with at this point. Uh, there is research supporting Eastern medicine and traditional cultures um, and what they've been saying for really millennia, um, especially in terms of fermented foods. We need bacteria and other organisms to help support good health. When you look at a lot of these cultures, fermented foods have been a staple in their diet for a very, very long time. Oh, and yeah, now before refrigeration, that was yeah. one of the only ways to preserve things was through massive amounts of salt or fermentation of, you know, dairy and other things, yes. Exactly. Yeah, and so now finally research is like, hey, maybe they did know what they were doing. <laughs> 
So that's really, that's really cool. I love when science really catches up to things that have been going on for years and is like, okay, now we have scientific evidence to support this. And so, you know, the microbiome is, is a really cool topic, but here is where the article gets interesting when we start crossing over with how it directly affects uh, blood lipid levels. So what we're looking at here is something called hyperlipidemia, which is high blood lipid levels. And so what we're going to see is high cholesterol, high LDL, uh, low LDL, and high triglycerides. So, so sorry? One of those is HDL? HDL, yeah. So we, so high, so total cholesterol. Cholesterol is something our body needs anyway. If we don't eat enough, our, our liver produces it. Right. So of course, it has to be in the right amount. We want the Goldilocks effect, you know, not too much, not too little, just the right amount. LDL is the one that has been associated with cardiovascular events. This is the cholesterol leaving our liver and going out to the rest of our body. And so it can um, go up typically when we have a diet high in saturated fat. But we want to keep this one lower. This is typically an indicator that we're not really heading in the right direction in terms of cardiovascular health. And then the LDL, which is the high-density lipoprotein. Oops, I was getting confused between LDL and HDL. What I'm talking about here is HDL, high-density lipoprotein, um, is the cholesterol that's being cleaned up from the body and it's on its way back to the liver. And so, yes. Yeah. And so this is the stuff that keeps, it's, it's kind of considered the healthier one of the two, although I don't really like using like good and bad because I think there's still a lot that we have to learn in terms of the role HDL and LDL play, but we want, if we want to have a healthy profile or a healthier profile, we want higher HDL, lower LDL. Low LDL, right. Yeah. And then triglyceride levels. This is how fat is distributed in the body. Everything has to be chaperoned. And so um, if we are eating or if we have conditions where there's a higher amount of fat in the body, we will have high triglycerides. There's also a link to triglycerides with high carb diets as well, because your body, your liver converts to storage, which can increase triglyceride levels. So it just means that there's too much fat floating around in the blood. And of course, it's it's just not a good space to be in. And so we want to keep these at the right levels. It's not that we want to bring them down to zero, of course, but we want to have them in that happy range. Some of the concerns with hyperlipidemia, which we just talked about a little bit, please keep in mind, I'm not a doctor. So if I've gotten the definitions a little bit off, I apologize. And definitely, I would love to hear any corrections if, if anybody's like, no. But these uh, conditions, hyperlipidemia, is one of the main contributing factors to metabolic syndrome. So this is things like atherosclerosis, stroke, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, hypertension, and fatty liver. All of these uh, are really bad places to be in. They're not good for our health. They're indicators that we are in a very unhealthy state. And so if we can help bring blood lipid levels to the right happy zone, um, it can do a huge amount for our health. For lipidemia, just another note that I picked up in the article, contributes to half of the world's mortality. And there is a lot of research out there. Sorry, did you have something to add? Yeah, that's huge. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a big number. So even just whatever we can do to help bring high lipid levels down will have huge downstream implications in our health. It's because it's linked with so many different diseases. Yes. It's right. Like we're talking about metabolic syndrome. Like this one factor is a risk factor for diabetes, for high blood pressure, for heart disease, for all a whole bunch of things. And all together, that's 50%. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Yep. I know. Like this is, this is why I kind of, when I started learning more about this, I was like, I'm blowing on my own mind right now. Like this is just so cool. (sighs) Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, but there's so much because this is such a big factor in mortality. Uh, there's tons of research being done in medications in the pharmaceutical industry, looking at how we can lower blood lipid levels. But of course, if we can find a way to do that, that have much less side effects, because a lot of the medications that people are on have um, nasty side effects and other risk factors themselves. So if we can find better ways to help bring people into a healthier state, of course, we're going to try and go with those options. And so looking at the microbiome and how it does have a huge effect on blood lipid levels is the natural next step here because we know it, it does have a huge effect. So let's get into the meat of this really, really cool article. So this article is a meta-analysis. Here's why these are so, so, so cool. They take all the published data that are related to the topic. And basically what they're doing is they're now analyzing data from tons of studies that have already been published. And so the pool of data that we're looking at becomes in a single study, we're looking at anywhere from like tens, hundreds, sometimes even thousands of participants in meta-analysis because we can pool so many together now we're looking at like thousands to tens of thousands right because those studies were all similar enough that we can actually pool the data exactly right so now when we look at the statistical significance that comes of these articles it has much more weight yes because there's so many more data points that we're looking at so this article had 21 articles that were published that met all the criteria. Within few of these articles, there was like multiple studies that had been done within this one published article. So there was actually 24 data sets that they were analyzing. This one study was a summary of 24 different smaller studies. Exactly. And so that, that adds up quite a bit. So there's 21, they were all RCTs which I know are your favorite. They are. I know because they're fantastic. So they were all RCTs on humans. Um, And so this makes it even more significant. We're not talking about RCTs done on mice or other animals. You know, these are humans. These are real studies that have been done. And what we're looking at is how using probiotics. And so this was probiotics, not foods, but this was capsules and things like that. And prebiotics and how they affect blood lipid levels. So, um, and so can yeah. I just ask for clarification definitions on the differences between the microbiome, a prebiotic, and a probiotic? You sure can. Those are some <laughs> great questions. So the microbiome, when we, when we talk about the microbiome, we're talking about the culture that is inherently found in us and on us. 
at any given time. And so this will change as uh, you grow and live your life and do different things and eat different foods and, and participate in different activities. Even seasonally, actually, there's some studies out looking at how the microbiome changes with the seasons, which makes sense if you think about it when you're you know, in the middle of summer and you're swimming in lakes and you're going out walking through the grass in bare feet, you are going to be picking up very different bacteria and other things than in the winter when you're inside very a lot, you know, and you're not out walking and swimming and doing all these different things. So the microbiome is, is what we find in us and on us. Right. Yeah. Probiotics are what we get from external sources, the bacteria that may contribute to our microbiome they're somehow becoming like they they have the potential to become part of the microbiome but we think of probiotics as like a capsule of bacteria typically that we can take we get probiotics from foods but they're external sources of this bacteria again there's different ways we can get it but they're the sources of bacteria for the microbiome right And then prebiotics goes one step back and it's the food we eat that supports the growth of the microbiome in our body. And so everything we eat doesn't become food for the bacteria that are in our gut typically. But a lot of the, there is a lot of new studies coming out about specific components of food that the bacteria love to eat and it can support the growth and division i'm not thinking of the right word here Uh, the growth and division of specific bacteria in our gut and of course like in our gut we have so many different kinds of bacteria right among other things we really want to encourage the proliferation that's the word i'm looking for Uh, proliferation yes i know proliferation (laughs) of the desirable bacteria and i don't like to use the word good and bad because again bad bacteria it kind of it has its place but if we have more proliferation of the stuff that's going to help promote good health, we can do that through prebiotics. Things like, <clears throat> I think the most well-known is um, inulin and beta-glucan. Yes. Those are the two that are the most well-known. So the study that they were looking at in this meta-analysis was beta-glucan, okay. the prebiotic. Um, and then there was a few different strains. I'll get to those in a second um, that they looked at in terms of probiotics. And there was three, I think, if I remember correctly, I'll have to double check my notes, um, three probiotics that stood out more than the others. And those are the bacteria. And those are the actual bacteria. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, it's, it's really cool looking at, you know, probiotics and prebiotics and, and spoiler alert, they do have a big effect (laughs) on, on hyperlipidemia. They can actually help lower total cholesterol, LDL, triglycerides and help raise LDL. So it was, it's really interesting now seeing statistical, heavy statistical significance in these studies, because again, like traditional cultures have been using probiotics to help promote health for millennia. And now we're, we're finally like the research communities are catching up. So, yeah. So anyways, we looked at, so we just talked about total cholesterol, just making sure I'm hitting all the points I need to here. Probiotics, prebiotics. Yeah. Okay. So let's get on to talking about how it affected it. So not all of the studies that were looked at in this had the same effect. Right. What they found is that there was 
24, but when we broke it down, there was different weights and there was different statistical significance um, in different areas. But once you start breaking it down by total cholesterol, HDL, LDL, and total and triglycerides, sorry, there was a pattern. And so when we look at total cholesterol, LDL, and HDL, there was a much better effect through probiotics in the improvement of those blood lipid levels. And so when we look at what those probiotics were, Mm -hmm. and I'll just rattle them off and then we can talk about them more a little bit in more detail. Uh, Lactobacillus, I'm probably going to mispronounce this now because it's a fancy Latin word. (laughs) Kifranofaciens. That's a mouthful. Yes. Uh, the other one was Lactobacillus plantarum and Lactobacillus ruteri. So those were the three that had the most effect on blood lipid levels. And then when we look at triglycerides, and this is where I was kind of shocked, but I guess it makes sense because when we're looking at all of the other factors, that directly has to do with cholesterol, whereas what we're looking at now is triglycerides, which is a very different form of fat. These are the long fatty chains, not the sterile. And there's three and, chains, right? Yeah, exactly. But they're the long carbon chains, yeah. not molecules of cholesterol, which is still a fat, but the structure of it's very different. Yeah. And so the triglycerides were much, much, much greater affected by prebiotic. So bringing oh, down geez. total triglycerides, if you're looking to do that, looking at prebiotics is the way to go. It again, we're looking at like even you know, the last episode we talked about the Mediterranean diet, whole grains, lots of vegetables, lots of fruit. All of these things are increasing fiber, and part of that is going to be prebiotics, right? Like some of the components in a lot of these foods is prebiotics that is going to encourage the proliferation of a lot of the bacteria that we want. And some of the side effects we're seeing is lower cholesterol, lower triglycerides. You know, it, it makes sense now. We're starting to, to kind of break down some of the benefits of these diets a little bit more. All right, what else do I need to talk about? Five studies show up. We talked about the specific beta-glucan. I mean, that one has been known for quite a while. Interestingly, there was none here that included the inulin that we talked about. I think that would be really interesting if, if that was included too. But yeah, I just thought it was so fascinating that even just making sure we're eating more of the desirable probiotics can actually have such a significant effect on your cardiovascular system and improve your overall health. Again, it's all the little things that add up. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And so the other thing I wanted to, sorry, did you have a question before? I yeah. I just, when you were talking about the, the studies, how they were, they weren't looking at probiotic foods. They were looking at probiotic supplements that are derived from food, right? So these yes. are higher dose than food. Yes. What about the prebiotics? Were they looking at like a beta glucan supplement or were they looking at, for example, oats or how much people were consuming that were, that included the beta glucan? Like how, 
Yeah, they, that's a really good question. They were looking at supplements in this case because, and I think this was one, but I'm not positive. One of the qualifying factors, what it was, it was very standardized. Right. So they weren't going by recall. They weren't going by like, what foods do you eat? It was like, here's this supplement so that we know exactly how much of this you're getting. And we get the results of that because all of these were RCTs. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so it says here, there was either three or five grams of the beta glucan per day per day yeah and so i mean one of the the areas i want to get to is talking about how this is applicable in a food way yes because again we don't want to be taking pills for the rest of our lives and so a lot of this can be extrapolated which i I think is really the take-home that we that we need to look at so the other thing i just want to mention is the meta-analysis also noticed that the best results were seen when the study was conducted for at least eight weeks So each of the timelines was a little bit different, but they found the best effects went on for eight weeks or two months. And when you think about it, you know, this makes sense. A lot of these processes, this bacteria, the prebiotics, they need time to do their job and you need this constant supply because you had just mentioned that, you know, prebiotics don't have a lot of staying power. Right. right? And this is why fermented foods, eating a little bit of fermented food every day, for example, is so good for our health because we keep re-inoculating ourselves. Right. You know, we keep up the culture that we want there. We need to, to continue doing these for a while. So again, this is going back to what we all believe in, like short, small, steady changes for long-term health. Like these are all right. things we should be trying to include all the time. They did also make a note that long-term probiotic use is not well studied. And so definitely discuss with health professionals. Like they made a note about that specifically. Disclaimer alert. Disclaimer alert for sure. (laughs) Um, You know, probiotics are fantastic, but we don't really know too much about taking them in this context. However, I think this, this article is a great tool to look at ways that we can use this in real life situations. Um, The other thing I want to mention is a lot of uh, meta-analysis. They do analysis on how much bias there can be in yes. papers. And so they did, this was a new area of statistics for me. So some of the statistics I'm pretty comfortable with. This one, I had to definitely go do a little bit of digging. Funnel plots. Have you ever heard of funnel plots before? Nope. I know that was, it was very new. But basically what it does, sorry? Oh no, I was just thinking that conflicts of interest and biases and stuff are things that have really kind of elevated in the scientific community over the last decade or two. I, I don't mm. know that this was something that we learned a ton of in university, but because it's come up a lot, science, the whole scientific community is trying to address that in multiple ways. Yes. So I think this is one of those ways to try and identify if there's inherent bias. Yeah. And so they actually have statistical ways of measuring that now. Mm-hmm. Please don't ask me about the math. I will not <laughs> ask you. It's good to know that somebody's doing it though. I know. And that's the, that's the take home message. They did it. They did a funnel plot and they did a few other different analysis to see if there was any publication bias. Um, And what they found was that there was no bias in any of the studies in any of the ways that it relates to what we're looking at. So, and that was uh, looking at it from a few different point of views, but uh, the funnel plot was kind of where they started. And then they kind of delved a little bit deeper. If there was a suspected bias as indicated by the funnel plot, then they did more analysis and realized, no, it was an artifact of that statistical process. So that was really cool. I love that they do that now 
with the meta-analysis because I mean really what it comes down to is we're all human exactly you know and as much systems that you put in place to try and negate that bias like it's still there we're we're all still preconceived with you know our beliefs and our systems and you know sometimes we're totally blind to the fact that it's there sometimes we're not and so the fact that they were they do this now in in meta-analysis I I just was like this is a good thing we need to see more of this right more transparency and more reviews from people who don't have skin in the game Yes. Like you have other scientists critiquing what is done here. And then the more you kind of look at it from different angles, the more you can see that this is higher quality or not. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so this this was a fairly lengthy article. I think it was about 17 pages altogether-ish. 12 pages? 12 pages. I was wrong. That's 17. Still a fair amount though yes um so i haven't gone into like tons and tons of detail in the statistics i kind of did some highlights if you want like we'll definitely link to the show notes the article so you can go take a look but let's talk about we need to see how is this applicable in real life this is where we start making those connections which are are so useful to what we do is so cool the bacteria we consume really helps benefit our cardiovascular health by keeping blood lipid levels in check so some of the bacterial cultures that I talked about, there is lactobacillus. So this is the stuff we're finding in anything typically acidic. So yogurt, one of the, the main strains is lactobacilli. Uh, this one, lactobacillus plantarum, I could be pronouncing that wrong. These are found in things like brined pickles. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference. Um, and this is something too important to note if fermented foods are new to you. When you go to your grocery store and you walk through the aisles and we come to the condiment aisle and we see sauerkraut and pickles and all the the yummy, yummy things there, that is not where we're getting culture from. That typically is a vinegar brine. And because it's shelf stable. Yes, that's the I'm so glad you're bringing this up. That's exactly Yes. I know. Yeah, that because it's shelf stable, that tells us that there's no living things in there. Because if there was living things in there, the bottle would explode and there would be pickle juice everywhere. And it would be refrigerated. Yes. Exactly. so this is why people should be trying to learn how to make their own. Making homemade brined pickles is not hard. Really, it's vegetables in a salt solution. And it just has to be a certain concentration. You let it sit at room temperature and grow. And they make absolutely delicious fermented vegetables. Do you have a recipe? I do somewhere. Yes. Um, I will see if I can find the recipe and we can link to it in the show notes because it's not hard. It's not hard. It is not a little science lab and it's delicious. Although I have to warn you, I had tons of pepper, garlic, and dill and they are spicy, but oh my goodness, they're so good. You can get similar flavors, although I don't think it's a live culture it's not a raw pickle anymore but i find the strubs original dill pickles is the the best flavor i'm trying to mimic right um, and that's in a brine as well it's not in a vinegar and but it's refrigerated want... in the grocery it, store it is but i don't think it's live anymore i think they've pasteurized it but i need to look oh, into that but you yes i know and that's a that's a canadian company so if anybody out there has not tried strubs dill pickles you are missing out oh my god that's so good (laughs) you have to give them a try they're canadian packed in i think ontario but you can make your own it's not hard 
sauerkraut contains this lactobacillus plantarum sauerkraut i mean so i'm in alberta you're in ontario i'm from ontario so i'm quite familiar with life out there one thing about alberta most people don't realize before they come here we have a lot of ukrainian and a lot of polish settlers here um and so sauerkraut is big so out here something yeah okay and the wheat farm it's called pshinitsha and it's the wheat farm and so many people came to Canada after the First and Second World Wars, yeah. and they moved to the prairies to yes. farm wheat and other things. So, yay. yeah, and they brought their cabbage with and them, and they made that. sauerkraut. <laughs> and sauerkraut is another thing that's so easy. And so here's here's the cool sciencey thing with sauerkraut. So when I first started trying to make it myself, it was very intimidating. I'm like, what if I'm poisoning people? Because you don't know what you're growing. It's really cabbage and salt. That's it. But here's a cool science thing. If you use red cabbage, the chemical that makes the cabbage red changes with pH. Yes. Yes. And so when you add red cabbage to the sauerkraut and it starts becoming more acidic because of the growth of the lactobacillus, it goes from that red color to like fuchsia. And so you know you're actually making your sauerkraut correctly. Amazing. I know. So I will add more recipes yes, for that as well. Definitely indicator right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So kimchi, again, we're going into different cultures now. Yep. Uh, Korean kimchi contains this. Brined olives, sourdough, something called Nigerian ogi, which I am not familiar with, but mm. it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. And other fermented fruits and vegetables. Right. Some cheeses fermented sausages and something called stockfish which I am also not familiar with but I'm thinking it's some type of pickled fish going by the fact that all of these are fermented right so those are some of the foods that we can start eating that does contain L plantarum so now looking at lactobacillus cafferanofacian first part if you didn't pick up on it in my absolutely wonderful pronunciation (laughs) Starts with kefir. (laughs) The first part of the word is kefir. So uh, in my notes, I have kefir, duh. (laughs) Right. So again, like there's lots of different forms of kefir. I think the most popular is just milk kefir. Right. If you're going to buy it, just buy plain full fat kefir, right? Like the the fat is is there for a reason. It is good for us in moderation. Um, you can buy it at the grocery store. Like I, you can yeah. get it in like one liter containers at the grocery store in the refrigerated section with the yogurts. Exactly. Right. But the only thing I always want to pay attention to is a lot of yogurts now are becoming secret vehicles of sugar. Yes. And it drives me crazy because there's yes. some yogurts people are like, oh my God, I'm going to eat them because they're so good for me. Right. But the amount of sugar in it is huge. And so yes. that's why I always, always, always recommend if you're going to buy yogurt or kefir, buy plain and add your own fruit or sweetener. Right. Because a lot of people don't realize the sugar in it kills off the bacteria. So you're actually not getting the same numbers because the sugar is a preservative because it binds up the water molecules. And it, it, there's less water availability for the bacteria. And so it kills off a lot of the bacteria just by plain. The other one. <laughs> hashtag yeah. just by plain. <laughs> just by plain. That's a really good hashtag. Just by plain. There we go. There's, that should be the name of this uh, podcast, this episode. Oh, yeah, just by plain. Hashtag just by plain. So the other strain that third and not least, um, L. ruteri, 
So this one I've actually heard of before and it can, this is the one that's associated with lowering LDL. Um, and the reason, so I have a family history of high cholesterol and high LDL. And so I had started a while ago to start doing a bit of research into how I can improve my diet to lower this, to lower my risk of uh, cardiovascular disease and L-ruteri kept coming up. Mm-hmm. This is in things like fermented dairy. Uh, so lots of cheeses, which is funny because these things typically are higher in saturated fat, which right. is linked with higher LDL. But right. when you eat the real food cultured, it can help lower. Cheddar, Grana Padano, Pierre, Ida Zabal. I've never heard of that kind before. Parmesan, uh, Roncal, and Toma. Mm-hmm. So, and then, yeah, any fermented dairy would have and it, it's just a strain of lactobacillus again. So those are some of the strains that we want to be looking at, which we're now finding are in a lot of the naturally fermented foods that cultures have been eating for quite a while. One of the studies talked about the prebiotics, which is the beta-glucan. One of the main sources of this is barley fiber. So again, whole grains. Right, whole grains. Oats and other oats. whole grains. That's where the oats get their little claims from because they're allowed, yeah. I believe it's a structure function claim um, yes. about having oats can help lower your, your cholesterol. Yeah, cholesterol. LDL and total cholesterol can help. It has been proven and they are allowed to claim that oats can lower cholesterol for heart health. I think it's a, a twofer. So it's the beta-glucan, and I think it's the beta-glucan that is a form of soluble fiber. That's what right. makes the oats kind of yes. gel-like. It binds up cholesterol and helps your body carry it out. This is one of the many reasons why whole grains in the diet are so, so, so good for us. Um, interestingly, it's also found in reishi, shiitake, and maitake mushrooms. Really? Yep some yeasts, seaweed, and algae. And so when we think about certain areas of the world where we have people with really good cardiovascular health, of course, Mediterranean diet, right? right? Mediterranean cultures, but Asian cultures as well. Yes. And they eat a lot of seaweed and algae. And so this is one of the reasons why now is what we're seeing. Really, the study looks at you know, taking these probiotics in the capsule form because everything has to be regulated. The doses have to be set so that we have everything controlled. Right. But I really don't see why this can't be used every day in real world lifestyle settings. You know, if we're getting um, small amounts of some of these cultures and some small amounts of uh, beta-glucan in our diets every day, we're doing little bit and little bit to help improve our cardiovascular health, we can take active steps to, to just improve our overall health in a way that isn't going to be crazy drastic and take away from the quality of the food we eat and, and our life. Yeah, I thought this was really cool. I was very excited to read this article. And hashtag just, just by plane. Just by plane. Just <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. For exploration into more health research, don't forget to subscribe. And we'd like to thank Joseph McDade for the music. If you have any comments, ideas, or recipes to share, you can reach us at ReetSearch on Instagram and Twitter and ReetSearch Podcast on Facebook. That's spelled R-E-A-T Search.
and buy strubs. And, and strubs. <laughs> just, oh my gosh. And they are, they're not sponsoring us. Like this is literally, no. like, we didn't even talk about this before the episode. 